Welcome to the Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast, episode 44, like the Magnum episode, right? I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and everyday law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm going to be joined by Jacob Paulson from ConcealedCarry.com, Concealed Carry Inc., uh, carriers of this uh, podcast and uh, kind of the uh, operation behind the Guardian Conference. More to follow. Today, we are going to discuss... Don't get shot by a cop. You know, we're going to revisit that. We uh, we did that before with like Hanny back in like episode, oh, like four, three or four. So we're going to revisit that again and kind of talk some, a uh, little bit, you know, point counterpoint kind of stuff. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Of course, Excess Sites, title sponsor of the podcast. EDC Belt Company at edcbeltco.com, makers of the foundation belt. The Guardian Conference, which is right around the corner. It is almost July, folks. This episode will drop uh, first first week of July. And uh, September 17th, 18th, 19th at the Oklahoma City Gun Club. Check out the link in the show notes for the Guardian Conference. There's still just a very few seats left. And they as of like last night, they still had early bird pricing. So get in while the getting's good. I'll be there teaching me, Hanny. I think Larry Vickers is, uh, gosh, who else? Chuck Haggard. A bunch of us are going to teach up there. So I'll be putting on skill builder 0.5 debunking the fundamentals, right? Or the fundamentals revisited. Uh, reminder, sign up for the concealed carry podcast giveaway last week's winner was douglas he won that flight 93 commemorative ball cap next week they're giving away some palm pepper spray so gotta sign up weekly go to the show notes clink clink click on it and uh get your name in the drawing for some uh, some great prizes so all right guys let's bring in our guest jacob paulson welcome back jacob it's been like 40 episodes so we're on number 44, and I think you were on number four. So, could be, yeah. So the topic we wanted to kind of revisit from those early five episodes was don't get shot by the police. And uh, right around the corner from uh, your neck of the woods there, they had an incident within the last, what, week and a half? It was last week. Last week. Yeah, I, think and, it was, uh, I think it was eight days ago. So effectively... And, I was out of town, but I mean, this is, this is the, this is the city I live in. My, my, my personal Denver suburb. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, the long and short of it is, uh, bad guy shoots a cop, kills the cop. And then an armed Samaritan shoots the bad guy, kills the bad guy. And then responding officers shoot the good Samaritan. Correct. That's, that's kind of the gist of it. Um, and yep. you gave me a couple of details earlier on on uh, in the pre-show there on some stuff that I hadn't heard that hadn't trickled out to us yet, but uh, about 
the act the actions of the armed citizen on the scene you want to elaborate on that a little bit yeah and i think that it'll it'll probably lead us into the into the convo here but i think the suspicious or bizarre or at least very least unique thing in this case was that the good samaritan after shooting the uh, armed suspect the cop killer he proceeded i mean you know body cam on this so we're pretty pretty clear on what happened he he picked up and was in the act of holding the suspect's carbine rifle when the responding officers responded. So they responded, and what they saw was a plainclothes civilian holding a carbine. Yeah. That's, uh, man, that begs so many more questions. I'm hoping that at some point I get a, I get a little more detailed debriefing on that. Uh, probably after the investigations, I'm sure police one or somebody will put out a uh, little more in-depth debrief because I would kind of be curious as to what his what his rationale for you know closing the distance with a with a an armed suspect with a carbine and then obtaining it trying to take it away you know was was the person still capable of fighting with it was it you know there there's just it begs a lot more questions and the first thing I think of is maybe somebody prior military because that was a very common taught thing in the, in that era was, you know, you could potentially render somebody temporarily unconscious. And if they have a weapon in reach, their final act of defiance could be to put it up, you know, to shoulder it and empty a magazine into a room. I mean, that, that, that was one of our protocols was to, if you engage someone was to immediately close with them and disarm them. So that's kind of where my mind went and that's kind of something that as a law enforcement officer, if I'm uniformed, yeah, that's probably going to be one of the first things I do is is approach and maybe uh, disarm that person unless they are clearly incapacitated. And by that, I mean not amongst the living anymore uh, mm-hmm. with obvious signs of it. So, mm-hmm. Well, I think that's probably the first kind of relevant point here is that this topic applies both to my world and to your world, right? Mm -hmm. Um, My world entirely all the time, right? We're always, I'm always playing clothes. I'm always off duty because I have no badge. Right. So my, my, my students, my consumers, my customers and and me, we live in a world where this is a serious concern. Uh, Oh, what if the cops show up though? And they shoot me. I mean, I hear that all the time. And that said, you flip that around. And in your world, it's an absolute issue. Uh, before we started recording, you, you mentioned there were, you, you could think of several incidents where off-duty cops uh, had been shot by their fellow officers. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you remember, I think it was Portland. It's like Portland, Pacific Northwest, probably 10 years ago. You had an active killer in a mall mm-hmm. and an off-duty officer with a Glock 26 who shut the shooting down on his 10th round. And uh, about which, as we know, that's about a 10 round, 10 to 11 round capacity pistol, right? Shoots, shoots the bad guy, ends the situation, and then immediately starts thinking, my, my buddies are coming and they don't, I'm not dressed like them today. And he said his, his fear and anxiety shifted from, I'm going to get killed by the bad guy to somebody that I know that doesn't recognize me could potentially uh shoot me 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I might be thinking of a different incident than you, uh, but I'm thinking of the trolley square shooting. That's the April one. 2007. Yes. Yeah, and I lived in Utah at that time. Uh, okay. In fact, it was my first year as a fire instructor. I got certified to teach in January 2007. So I've been, you know, in this industry for about three months when that shooting happened, about 40 minutes from my house. And uh, yeah, I mean. It turned out okay, in case anybody was wondering on the conclusion of that one. Officers were able to identify him. In fact, dispatch uh, had communicated to the officers, the responding officers, that there was a uh, you know, someone on scene engaging the shooter. And so they, they came into the situation looking for and, and aware of that. Uh, and and it's, it's one of those interesting things because it wouldn't take much of a, a, a search on YouTube <laughs> to mm-hmm. find videos. I can think of three off the top of my head where officers respond to a situation where the armed citizen is gun out on a suspect, you know, basically holding them, submitting them to custody or, you know, preventing their escape, whatever you want to think of it. And the, the officers show up and it completely ignore the armed citizen with a gun out and just go right to the perp and, you know, lock him down. And, and like with, without any thought for the fact that, Oh, there's some random other dude here pointing a gun at me. I can, I can think of one in Florida, uh, that was that's that's really good documented. This guy is just pointing a gun at the guy trying to break into a church, as it were. The cops show up, go right past the Good Samaritan in front of his gun, and arrest the and arrest the perp. And I can think of another one in Georgia. Uh, it's kind of a it's a motor vehicle theft situation, same kind of thing. That the cops just don't even care. But we also know the opposite has happened, right? And so I don't think you can predictably say this is how the cops are going to act because we've seen it happen both ways. But maybe, Brian, something that might be helpful for me would be to hear a little bit. And I know this is going to vary by department as well, but but what's the training for this? Like what what are, as, as the officer, as the responding officer, what are you thinking or what are you looking for or what training, if any, you know, is, is top of mind there? Well, I have actually, and I, I think I discussed it in an early episode probably 16 years ago, I a very new cop and carjacking occurs and someone's calling in and I'm getting like second by second feed of information as I'm traveling to it. And it turns out this mentally deranged person carjacked a, a cab driver. And I have a person, I have a description of the cab driver and the first thing that occurs to me is whoever is on scene is giving a lot of detail. So that was like clue number one. They're giving out a ton of information almost in the manner that if I was on a radio communicating to other policemen. So I thought, I wonder if there's a cop there. I I just, that was just immediately what struck me was the suspect is, you know, such and such male five foot 10 wearing this, that, and the other, the, the victim is in a green shirt and he even said he's speaking with an accent. And I thought, why would that be relevant to a a citizen? Like what would make them convey that to a dispatcher? And as it turns out, a trooper from Texas had seen this occur and had passed a phone to his wife and said, this guy's screaming. He's been carjacked. And as I pull up, the suspect and the carjacking victim are rolling around on the ground. And I see a guy with a, a J-frame Chief Special 5-shot 38. It was actually a Model 36 for those gun goobs of us because I asked the guy later. Uh, but he's giving him clear commands. So I pull up, middle of the night. The only illumination is my car lights and the overhead red and blues. And this guy is standing in a shooting stance, like 
kind of somewhat between Weaver and a retention position. And he's yelling at the bad guy, stop, stop, you're under arrest. And I went, that's a cop. See no badge, see nothing. And then as soon as he sees me, he brings his gun into like a retention position and starts to holster it. And then he and I both go hands on. And I, and while we're wrestling the suspect, I said, are you a cop? And he goes, yeah, I'm an off duty Texas trooper. So one, the flow of information was really good from the, from the get go Two, the mannerisms that this guy, this off duty trooper took, uh, were very distinct. And what I mean by very distinct is it wasn't panic and the guns going one way. It was guns, eyeballs, shooting stance, covering a suspect, right? Um, and he's verbalizing, stop, you're under arrest. The police are on the way. Things like some of the, and I mean, we're talking in, in a few seconds as I'm approaching this. And I approach it from the back of the the victim's vehicle. So if this guy with a 38 turns out not to be a good guy, I still had a an advantageous position. And as soon as I start seeing that, it it lowered my uh like hyper vigilance to a degree that I went, okay, he's obviously not engaging me here. Um and as I walked up, I said I said something like police holster or something like that. And he immediately did. And I had, you know, I had a gun out at the time. And when I see the suspect and victim don't, there's no weapons involved there. Well, now it's a grappling ordeal, right? So, and the other thing is just the mannerisms that this individual took keyed me in that he was not a, he was not a threat to me. He was attempting to intervene in the situation. Um, and ultimately we took the bad guy into custody, but that was the first encounter that I had of man, if that guy would have been standing there with, you know, pardon the parlance of my terminology, like the gangster grip on his gun, screaming all kinds of profanity, it would have probably turned out much differently. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but the flip side of it was it all started from when the call was dispatched the the flow of information. So I can't like mm -hmm. reiterate enough. Like if you're going to hand your phone to a spouse, a loved one, a, a, you know, somebody have them start giving really detailed information. And that's a very hard thing to do if you haven't rehearsed it. So, well, there's, there's, there's a perfect storm scenario, right? I was talking to an officer who was not involved in this incident, but of whom I know in that department. Okay. And, um, and I just said, you know what, you know, we were talking back and forth on some of the training things that they're trying to implement and learn from the situation that, that just happened here. And uh, we talked about it for, for, I don't know, a few minutes. And then I, I said something like, you know what, sometimes you can do everything right and, and it just goes wrong. Like sometimes there's just a kind of a perfect storm. But Brian, Brian, from what, like from your story, from your unique, you know, situation you were in, I think that it illustrates well the three things I tell my students when this topic comes up. I kind of got like my one, two, three, right? And so let me, let me, you know, impart these and, and we'll see if there's wisdom here or not. Uh, and I'm, I'm really anxious for your feedback because, you know, if you tell me I'm stupid, then I'll feel bad. But the first one I always tell students is guns don't go away until the threat's over. Like, you know, because whether or not the cop's going to shoot you or not becomes really irrelevant if the bad guy shoots you. Right. Right. So, 
So that's like that. We got to keep like the priorities in mind. And so the, the priority of winning the fight you're in has got to be number one, be above all else. Because if you don't, if you don't come out of it breathing, it doesn't matter if you broke the law and it doesn't matter if the cops shoot you or not. So I think that's the, like the first thing. If someone's like afraid, they're like, oh, my gosh, but I don't I don't want to get shot by the cops. It's like, you know what? Like you've got to put that out of mind until you've dealt with the with the threat. So that's the first thing I think has got to be like a number one in this conversation. I will take I will take the odds that a cop will not shoot me before I'll take the odds that a suspect won't shoot me. Does that make right. sense? Right. Which one is your your better probability? Yeah, both of them are a risky endeavor. But sure. the one thing for sure is you have a much better chance that the police are not going to shoot you than you do a suspect in an armed engagement. It just yeah. Because yep. there is no re, there, the repercussion for them is they're going to go to jail or they're going to die. Mm-hmm. The 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 police there's the repercussions are miles long and endless. So the chances of them exercising caution are way higher than a bad guy that's determined. So I'm yeah, I'm with you a hundred percent on that point. It's simple probability. It's simple mm-hmm. like odds and stakes. So when I'm balancing the odds and I'm balancing the stakes, it's really clear. Like finish my fight. And then worry about everything else. Yeah. But that gun's not going away. It's not getting set down on the concrete. I'm not, you know, putting my hands in the, I'm not doing any of that jack squat if I think I still have an active threat. So I think that's, that's my number one, number one. Here's my number two. And I think this also becomes really relevant. And, and, and this may vary for an off-duty cop. So you'll, I'll, I'll be interested in your perspective on this. But my number two is this. Um, I'm allowed to create distance and even retreat from the event. Right. Like if, if I deal with this situation and I have solved my problem, right, I no longer have an armed threat. I'm allowed to put a couple cars between me and them or I'm allowed to get in my car and drive off and then call 911 if I want. Uh, I mean, I, my, I'm, I'm allowed to do whatever I think is, is ideal for my security and safety. Um, that's that, that that is reasonable. Right. Yeah. You're you're so, under no obligation to try to take that person into custody. Right. You're under no obligation to do anything other than stop the immediate threat to you. And if that means run away from the scene as fast as you can, and then when you think you're far enough away, run a hundred yards more and then call the police and say, Right. Just got in this engagement. Dude shot a cop. I shot him. I'm I'm you know, I'm in the local beauty salon in the bathroom or whatever. Um Right. Right. Uh, yeah, so I think I think that's I think that's critical because and you know maybe maybe that's problematic and I'll, I'll talk about maybe some of the problematic things. Certainly, that's a presuming a certain amount of time allowing me to do that to end my problem and then to retreat or to escape. Uh, whereas maybe if officers are responding right as I'm solving my problem, maybe that's not something that's available to me. But I think that that's an important kind of part of the mindset. This idea that if you're worried that a responding officer is going to put holes in you. Uh, then you need to remember you don't have to hang out. And at very least, you can think about, okay, well, I'm in this parking lot. And there's this building right here. And here's my encounter I've been in. And responding officers are coming from the street over here. So if I do nothing more than just move over here and put this car between me and the cops, you know, that's 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 better for me, right? Like I'm allowed to maximize my, my ability to survive. Yeah. And one of the other things that I'm interested to see from this Arvada if there is a debriefing on this incident is how close was the suspect and the cop? Because if I'm in that situation as an off duty cop, I am going to put myself in between the cop and the bad guy that just shot him. 
And even if I'm giving commands to a dead body that I believe is dead, you know, I, you know, and as soon as the cops get in, I'm going to be going, he's hit somebody, somebody help him, somebody help him. And then as soon as they say, drop your gun, you're, you're going to hear my, my carry piece of the day hit the pavement. But, um, but something to, to indicate that, Hey, I didn't hurt this guy here. I hurt that guy or, you know, I stopped that person. I'd kind of be interested to see if he was approaching the suspect, you know, maybe placing himself between the suspect and the officer. Maybe the officer's laying on the ground over here and you're taking a knee by him covering the suspect and yelling commands at a suspect and something that, uh, I would like to convey because we do have a pretty good listening audience now. So, uh, is, you need to practice a, I hate to say a spiel, but like a, a defined set of commands. Stop. The police are on their way. You know, lay down on the ground. Show me your hands. Drop the gun. All the stuff that cops would typically say to an armed suspect, you probably need to get familiar with those if you're going to carry a gun. Uh, be, for nothing more than an, a responding officer is we're taking in all kinds of information. We are processing information by the microsecond and seeing that verbiage and perhaps a decent defensive shooting posture towards a bad guy is going to key us in on the way to the scene as we're closing distance with you that, okay, that person is talking like a policeman or mm-hmm. policewoman, right? Makes sense? Yeah, well, yeah, and that's my number three. And I think this one's probably the most critical. And that is, that, that is this idea of just like your behavior is reflective of a defensive-minded person, not an attacker. Like attackers don't take cover. Attackers do not ever use retention positions. And attackers are, are never mindful of their muzzle direction, right? Attackers just don't, they don't do those things. Like criminals, active shooters, bad guys, they, I mean, maybe I'm naive, Brian, you've seen a lot more body cam footage than I ever will. Um, But, but my general sense is that if, if I'm using retention positions, if I'm taking a position of cover, if I'm mindful of my muzzle direction uh, and, and I, and I'm, you know, doing any of those things, I I, got to stick out like a sore thumb in that environment. Like it's gotta be like a person with, that has any opportunity to observe uh, as an officer has got to say, that doesn't look like my perp. Yeah. And if you, if you hearken back to the gray man, it's a riot, the gray man concept, it's a riot. And we, Hanny and I talked about, you know, blending in, but not. And what I mean by that is having something clothing, something that makes you look like the normal person's going to look at you and just see some somebody that looks like they're in outdoor clothing or they're a supporter of an organization with the flag on the shoulder or something like that. But when I'm carrying off duty, the average cop's going to see my t-shirt that says you carry, we cover like CCW safe slogan, you know, their slogan, or I'm going to be wearing a guardian nation shirt or something that to the untrained eye just looks like a t-shirt. Um, now that's a personal thing that I do. And part of that is spurred on by, I get a lot of free t-shirts in this game. So, <laughs> and they all typically have logos for like very two, a 
supportive organizations. But, uh, but I tried to dress in a manner that an off duty cop running up is going to go, is that guy a cop or military or something like, uh, and one of the discussions I had at work today was, uh, we were talking about, there is a, a lot of new hires and people even work in daytime hours where typically your veterans work, they're starting to permeate through. And unless I've had a direct contact with them in training, I don't know these people. And a lot of them work the area where I live. So I think about that, like, man, uh, I really have to be vigilant if I'm carrying off duty because just because we're on the same team doesn't mean you're going to identify me when I'm off work. Right. So, so there's other considerations. Yeah. But I I like what you said about mannerisms and, and about verbal commands. I have uh, Brian, and maybe this will be a subject for a future episode. I have this open draft document on my computer that maybe one day I'll finalize into an article, but it's, it's called uh, uh, phrases that you need to memorize as a gun owner. Okay. And because uh, I think that there's this, what we've observed from training and from video and from surveillance and, and all those things is that uh, generally speaking, people are surprised at their inability to use verbal commands when they haven't trained them. Uh, we kind of associate this idea that, well, I got to practice using the running the gun or whatever tool because it's not inherently natural. And so I need to build those skills through repetition and practice. But I think that it's, it's less intuitive to understand that verbal using verbal commands, talking is, is equally so net, something you have to practice and train. Um, I, I, I think we just, we learned this over and over again. I mean, I, I've run, I don't know how many force on force scenarios with students. And at the end of the debrief, I can pretty much count on my ability to say the following. How, um, did you say anything? Why not? <laughs> right. Cause no one ever says anything They're, the brain is moving so fast about what a crap should I do? And should I use this gun and how should I use it? And you know, all those things that the brain does not think, well, maybe I should say something. And so I think it's really important. Uh, particularly for us civilians who are not cops, we're not in the business of giving verbal commands and telling people what to do in a forceful, strong manner that, I th- you know, I tell my students, like, you need to practice, like you need to go in the basement or somewhere. You're not going to freak people out and yell the word stop five times really hard. Stop is, is stop is the go-to by the way. Stop is the most powerful universal one syllable effective thing. That's just pretty much is going to work in every situation where you need to use a strong verbal command. So I tell my students to practice vocalizing really strongly from the gut, the word stop. And if I do that repeatedly, 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 when the blue lights come, that that's going to help me too, along with the, those other mannerisms, the thing I'm doing about using cover and, and retaining the gun and being careful at where it's pointed. You know, if you're walking around, just waving a gun around, looking for a target, you look like an active shooter. But if you're taking a position of cover and keeping an eye on a threat that's on the ground bleeding out and you pull that gun into retention system and you're, you know, you're shouting out some commands, you, you look very different. I'll give you, I'll give you one more for your, uh, for your spreadsheet or whatever you call it there for your word document, show me your hands. That Mm. is the, probably the most used cop phrase in a high intensity situation, period. Show me your uh, hands. Show me your hands. Show me your hands. Drop the knife. Drop the gun. Show me your hands. Um, and it's so critical, in fact, that the majority of 
police officers involved in a like our training program like a field training program there's fto program there's field training program all the different catchphrases for it that that is a graded point on almost every police officer's training in america can you verbalize commands and it doesn't have to be anything elaborate but it's important enough that we train police officers to do it as a go no go yes you can do this job or no you're not suited for it and it's when the the brown stuff hits the whirly thing in the ceiling they're able to think through and give clear and defined commands so I can't stress enough the importance of that if you're an armed citizen is if you're giving someone, you're verbalizing, stop, 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 show me your hands, drop the club, knife, whatever. Um, chances of someone running to that scene of hearing and seeing that on the way, your probability of surviving that encounter and not having a... Uh, <laughs> a blue on blue type situation are going to increase exponentially. Um, even in the encounter I had, you know, 16, 17 years ago. Uh, and I've seen, we, we've had a couple of other incidents that were very similar. Uh, we had an active shooter uh, in 2018 that two armed citizens that didn't know each other, hadn't met, hadn't shook hands. Uh, you can look it up. You can look up Louis OKC shooting. Uh, two guys put down a bad guy, and both of them ended up in cuffs. Neither one of them ended up shot or indifferent, but those guys had the presence of mind to not shoot each other as they're shooting an, an active killer. So, and a lot of it boiled down to mannerisms commands verbiage um identifying that that other person shooting at this bad is shooting at the bad person and not me so uh, and it was total chaos but there again the good guys won everything came out okay uh one had been a prior deputy uh prior like reserve type deputy and the other one was a prior military guy mm -hmm. so there was some degree of training there and both of them were verbalizing the whole time. Hey, he just shot that place up. Hey, he's, he's an active shooter. He's this, and they're covering a bad guy from a position of cover and yelling commands at a, what amounted to be a dead body. But, um, but it certainly helped the response as they got, as the good team shows up it certainly helped them to avoid injury. Now, granted, both of these people were in custody for several hours after the fact until all the, you know, the investigation started to ensue. But I, I, yeah, no I problem with cuffs. Yeah, no problem with it. I'd rather have, I'll take those any day over bullet holes. So, yep. Well, here's that. Well, you, you, you got me thinking. I want to, I started out with my list of three things. I want to, I have a bonus yeah. idea here. I'm, I'm remembering an incident, Brian, where um, BG, oh, for those listeners who don't know Jacob Lingo, BG stands for bad guy or bad gal, not the band from the 50s and 60s, the BGs. <laughs> so a BG goes into, comes into a house 
and a male occupant homeowner um, responds, shoots the BG. Um, the, uh, the rest of the occupants of the home kind of, you know, run out, you know, they're in the front yard. Officers respond. Uh, officers go in hot. They, they, one of the, one of the other occupants of the home out on the front lawn said something like he's, he's in there, he's in there, you know? Right. And so they go in and they see the homeowner kind of pacing through the house, holding the gun in the hand and they're given commands, you know, put the gun down or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that they, whatever commands they were giving, I, I don't, I don't know. And the homeowner didn't comply. And, and they gave him, I mean, I think it was something like 45 seconds or 60 seconds of giving commands, but the guy just keeps walking around and the muzzle is just moving across and across mm-hmm. the field where the officers were trying to enter the, enter the structure, the building, the house. And so at some point when the officers decides like he's not compliant, he's pointed that gun at me three times, like whatever, right. Shots get fired and home homeowner, homeowner gets shot. I, I don't remember if he survived or not, but uh, you know, it turned out this guy was hard of hearing, but I think that there another kind of key thing here is that we get in this, this kind of uh, uh, you know, tunnel vis- visual tunnel space where you, you're maybe it's, it's, it's plausible to me to believe that maybe I don't realize the cops are responding. Maybe I don't see the blue and the red lights. Like I'm so like focused and, and, you know, tunnel vision on this, this attacker that I got my gun on. I'm worried that they're going to stand back up, sit back up, grab that gun again, stab me again. Like all, like, like I'm so hyper-focused on this, this one thing right in front of me that I don't even realize that, that cops are yelling at me and tell me what to do. There's lights and, you know, but all this stuff. Right. And that's definitely detrimental to me <laughs> and to my situation. Right. Not compl- being compliant is definitely um, you know, moves you in the direction of getting shot by the cops, if that's our topic today. So uh, another potential you know, training tip here is we we talk about this on the range. And I think we talked about this with our students. But this idea of trying to break the tunnel vision and, and be aware of your surroundings. Right. Trying to kind of wake up the brain to are there other attackers? Is there anything else going on here? Ha- is there someone I can grab and tell them to call 911? You know what? Like just really try trying to kind of break out of that hyper-focused tunnel vision moment and be more aware. Oh, geez, these cops are yelling at me. Maybe I should put this gun down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's no one catch all. Um, one of the, the things that a lot of armed citizens discount. Now I know I've heard the rumblings of, well, the cops can't shoot. And you know, the typical, well, cops don't have training and things like this, but one thing that, the brand newest cop has over the brand newest concealed carrier up to someone who's even experienced a lot of training is they've had to go into those situations and think through high stress situations on the fly. And that's something that's very, very difficult to simulate. I'm talking extremely, and I'll, kind of go to some of the training I've been through when you put on a face mask and a shield and a chest protector and gloves and a crotch protector, and you're using a Sims gun, even that it's a great tool and it's great training, but you cannot simulate that intensity that happens in a real life. This is, Oh my gosh, somebody could die type scenario. And you can't inoculate against that type of stress. And I've tried to simulate it. <laughs> it's just extremely like excruciatingly difficult to train in that environment effectively. Um, so 
you know, even a cop that maybe he's not the best shooter, he's not the best hand to hand guy, he's at least been inundated with these situations over and over and over again and has the ability normally has the ability to think through them and uh which is consequently why we see cops that have mediocre training and mediocre skills that survive incidents like this very often is just surely because they can think through them so uh yeah it's it's a it's it's a whole realm of the training industry that is very difficult to uh in like engage in and something else and i'm just going to throw this as a side point something else that it, it kind of bothers me a little bit is when i see cops training cops on force on force and cops training armed citizens in force on force uh and i'll hearken this back to my my old buddy dave spaulding you know interviewing suspects they don't care about round accountability they don't care about where their muzzle's going to cross so when you're training force on force against cops they're shooting like cops do they're moving like cops do they're implementing cover and things like this like cops do so there again it gets to be a very difficult realm to enter on the training side so uh, but back to your point about thinking through these situations and verbalizing things, uh, we've all seen the, the guy do the, the clear to the rear check when you're doing training, they shoot a course of fire and they look over their shoulder and they look over the other shoulder and then back again. If you ever want to entertain yourself, hold up a card with something written on it behind them and see if that's theatrics or if they're actually doing something by doing that. Uh, and I'm diving off into the training rabbit hole. Sorry, but, uh, but yeah, there's, this is a lot to unpack in three things. Um, cause we could go the training route, the situational awareness route, the mindset route and all points in between. But I think the, the armed citizen learning some very basic commands and being able to break out of the tunnel vision of that, of take a look around, take a deep breath, and starts doing something copish, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. I, and, and I think that we're, we're trying to, I mean, I look at this as a series of tools in the tool belt, and I might utilize any one or, or more of them at a time, right? Because, for example, the second thing I said is you do not stick around. You know, you can no. put a certain amount of distance or cover, you know, but that, that, that might be a tool I can use. And if I do use that tool, then... I don't probably have to worry about a lot of these other things we're talking about, but I might be in a situation where I really can't use that tool for a number of reasons. Maybe I, I don't have a means of escape, or maybe uh, I think that there could be an additional threat around the corner, or I'm here with my young kids and they can't run as fast as I can, you know, whatever the thing is. So, so we got to think of these as these are all different, different tools you might have to minimize risk uh, that, that, you know, that this might happen. I'm going to kind of come back to this incident here in Arvada mm -hmm. uh, that happened this last week. We don't know why, but the Good Samaritan, after he shoots the cop killer, he goes over to the cop killer's vehicle and he picks up the carbine rifle that the cop killer had just retrieved off the ground. And this is when responding officers show up. So to just I'm trying to give a little credit to the responding officers because the responding officer is not going to see somebody holding a carbine and think, oh, that's just a Good Samaritan who's, who's you know trying to defend himself and help us out. Good Samaritans and off-duty cops don't run around with carbines in their pants. 
So it's it's a pretty like high indicator that this is this is a criminal. This is a BG. Uh, so anyway, I, I think that we got to. Th- I I don't think this, this like worst case scenario we're talking about happens that often. And even the incidents where you can point at and say, well, you know, here's situations where the responding officers have shot the good guy. I think in the vast majority of those. If, if the good guy had employed some of these basic strategies we were talking about, it could have been avoided. That said, sure, there's going to be that one incident. There's going to be that 1% or whatever, you know, small minority of circumstances where it's just a perfect storm and sometimes bad things happen. Uh, but I, I think that it's still worth living to and then rolling your dice <laughs> on whether or not you get shot by the cops. Yeah, it, it is. And I, man, it, you know, and I'm, I'm going to take one more point when we were talking about verbalization and uh, you know, Daryl bulky talks about drawing from a drawing from holster, right. And drawing to a, a compressed low ready and how even criminals would look at that from the police officers, seeing that action from the police officers and go, uh Oh, that guy's means business. He's trained as opposed to somebody that's pointing a gun at them and screaming at the top of their lungs, profanities and whatnot and looking at them and going, well, I know that it's not legal to be shot by that person. And that is something in police work that I can't emphasize enough. And I try to impart that to, you know, newer people is your job is to bring order to chaos, right? That's, that's police work in a nutshell. There's chaos. We bring order to it. If you're dumping buckets of gasoline on an already burning fire, you're not going to put it out no matter how hard you try. But the criminals always seem to focus on the people that are going, stop doing that right now. While I've got a gun in my hand, not pointing it at them and being very calm and very deliberate. And they would recognize this person will shoot me. The person over here that's screaming at me over the barrel of their gun, they don't know what they're doing. The guy that's standing there going, say when. That's the person that they will key in on. And back to the Arvada thing, when I look at that, immediately I think, was this guy a military vet? To go up and try to like obtain the guns and, and take them away from the suspect. Instead of maybe place myself in between the officer and the suspect and start giving some type of verbal commands uh, or even take cover and conceal my gun again. If the engagement's over and say, guys, he's over there. He just shot the cop. He just shot the cop. And then we'll talk about, I shot him later on, <laughs> you know, after sure. CCW safe sends their team over. Yeah. I shot that guy. Cause he shot this guy. Uh, the tragic thing of both of that is, you know, I commend the Good Samaritan. Uh, it, it's unfortunate that an officer died. That's a tragedy. It's unfortunate that the Good Samaritan died. The guy I really have the sympathy for is the dude that shot the Good Samaritan that, that tried to save one of his coworkers. Because that dude has to carry that, or several guys and gals are going to have to carry that with them the rest of their lives. That is, I can't express the weight that that puts on a person uh, that that may very well be the end of their career uh, mentally, physically, emotionally. And 
that shooting will likely be justified. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I was the investigator, I'd be like, you rolled up on a scene, dudes holding the carbine. Like all, you know, is sh- uh, shots fired officer down. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Yeah. I, I would, I would probably call it justified based on what I know. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I, that, that doesn't make it easy to live with to your point. That doesn't make the burden go away. Uh, yeah. No. And I have a, uh, I have a friend that, that shot an armed citizen. Luckily the, the individual, uh, he survived the injury. It was, it was actually in the grand scheme of a really crappy scenario. It worked out. Uh, and they justified, I mean, they deemed him completely justified and indemnified because the gentleman wasn't following commands. He was armed. He turned to face them. They're giving him commands and he had just, the person they shot had just robbed this guy's store and they end up shooting the victim of a robbery, which almost became the suspect of an ADW on the officer. So when all the smoke cleared, it was fine. But you know, here's my friend over here going, man, I really wish that guy had listened or had some type of training to go. When I said, Hey, put the gun down, he would have done it because now I have to live with, I almost killed a good, you know, a, a citizen. Um, and, and it would have been completely explainable and understandable, et cetera. Uh, luckily that one didn't end up in a fatality. Uh, but there again, you know, it, it's easy for me on the outside to go, man, well, it's a good thing. The good guy didn't die, but the stress and the emotional wounds and the, you know, the the mental wounds that you have inflicted on yourself because of someone a good Samaritan's actions they just don't go away. So I really uh, my heart goes out to that officer, the officer or officers that ended up shooting the the good Samaritan because that's uh, that's just something I don't I don't think anybody could uh, really encapsulate what that that would be like. So. Yeah, these are these are hard things, you know. And when it hits hard close to home, it's hard to deal with. The, the officer who died was the resource officer at my children's school, so wow. sometimes these things are very close to home, and it helps you ponder on these situations and and try and learn something from it. I think the takeaways for me, you know, for for my community, for the non-officer is you know, act in ways that are congruent with not being a bad guy. And you probably won't be mistaken as a bad guy, but some of these specific things that we talked about are likely to help. My, my thoughts for the responding officers are, you know, anything you can do to buy yourself time in order to make a better identification before you have to press a trigger is good tactics. And that goes a long way. And, and then, you know, sometimes you just got to trust your instincts and, and hope they pay out. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a good final thought sometimes you just have to trust your instincts <laughs> but uh but yeah i i think that'll that's a, i think that's a good note to to leave it on well do we have any other final final thing i usually give everybody a final thought but as usual you came in and just slam dunked it before i even ask so that's, that's the benefit of asking a guy a question he's already thought about many times over the years so no, I think I think those are my final thoughts. Uh, act in a ways that is consistent with the way good guys act. Uh, use cover. 
don't feel like you have to hold the scene. You're allowed to retreat. You're allowed to find a, a position of greater strength. Um, if possible, start communicating with dispatch directly or indirectly if you can. Use verbal commands. Uh, mind your mannerisms. But first and foremost, win the fight and don't worry about the cops until that fight is over. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming back on, Jacob. I, 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 our schedules rarely line up enough that we can do this. And, uh, so I really appreciate your time again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks to our guest again, Jacob Paulson from concealed carry man, a lot of stuff to unpack there. And, uh, hopefully it didn't go down the rabbit hole too far. Brevity is not my strong suit as Hanny McMood would say. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Also, a reminder, check out our sponsors, XS Sites. I forgot to mention CCW Safe's discount code, ccwsafe.com forward slash, oh, back that one up, ccwsafe.com checkout code off-duty10. I'll get you 10% off your membership. All right, EDC Belt Co. and the Guardian Conference is right around the corner, guys. We're selling out seats fast. Uh, I think they actually opened a few because uh, there were some people that wanted to come, and they're still got early bird pricing. All right, also sign up for the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Got to sign up weekly. Next week, Palm Pepper Spray. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.